This is the Christian Artist Honoring Christ Through Creativity. My name is Caleb, and it's actually just Connor today again. Uh, so we're going to have another bonus episode. Uh, Connor went through a series on First John at, uh, at our youth group, and uh, this is the second part of the series. And so without further ado, here we go. So, um, last week we talked about whether or not, or, or how, how we love God, and that whether or not we love God is a, a, an evidence of salvation, right? So, so, if we love God, do we love God, and that of bringing us evidence of whether or not we are saved, okay? So, this week we're also going to be talking about the same idea in the sense that this is evidence of salvation, um, but this is about loving Christians, okay? So before we get into this, though, um, let's pray. Um, God, thank you just uh, for this church, Lord, and for um, this youth group, Lord, that we can just gather and um, learn more about you, Lord, and just um, soak in your word. Uh, I pray, uh, just, I just want to pray for every person here, Lord, um, that that. You would speak through me, Lord, that your words only and not, not my own, and that it will be uh, beneficial, it will be helpful, um, and it will be all to the glory of you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So. I should probably grab my notes. All right. So, talking about evidence, all right? Evidence of whether or not we are saved and whether or not we love Christians is a very good sign of salvation, a very good sign of faith, a very good sign that if your life has truly been changed by Christ. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All right? So if you have truly been saved by Christ, if you truly have been changed, if you truly have repented of your sins and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you are different. You are a new person. And it's not just that, that you now give Sundays to God. It's now that you give your entire life to God. And every part of your life reflects the fact that you were saved. Alright? So, 1 John 3, 14-15 says, We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. All right, so, so in 1 John specifically, what he's saying is he, whenever he says brothers, he's referring to Christians only. Okay, so a lot of times people will use these verses and say, if you hate, then you're not a Christian. Like, just hate in general, hate anybody. And that's not necessarily what this is saying. He said, because we love the brothers. All right, in context, he's talking about other Christians. You don't, you don't say the brothers and... Like, I, I, don't know, I don't know what else, what else he could possibly mean by saying the brothers, right? So in context, that's what he's talking about. Um, and a, a lot of times in 1 John, what he's doing is he's referencing the gospel of John. And we'll get into that in a little bit. But that, so, that's, so keep that in mind. Of that's, that's the mindset here is we're talking about loving Christians, all right? Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Okay, so, um, John 13, 34 through 35 says, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. All right? 
By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. All right, so you guys have heard the song, you know, they will know us by our love. They will know us by our love for other Christians, all right? That's what that verse is talking about. It's not just, just everyone, all right? Now, does that mean that we don't have to love unbelievers? No, obviously not. Um, Luke 6, 27 says, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. All right, so that's pretty straightforward, all right? We have to love unbelievers as well. That's a command. Um, um, Galatians 6.10 says, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, all right? Everyone. And especially to those who are of the household of faith. All right? So what's going on here is, yes, we're supposed to love everyone, right? But especially those who are Christians. We're supposed to favor Christians in a way. All right? So in, in, in church, we have this idea that the only goal of a Christian is to run out there and preach the gospel to unbelievers, all right? And that's good. I'm not trying to say that that's bad in any way, all right? That's a good thing, and that's necessary for us to do. But sometimes we forget that there are Christians that are already saved that need encouraging, that need to be reminded of the gospel as well, all right? So in, in, in the Christian life, that is our main responsibility is to Christians, right? But right, right off the bat, I want to get this out there. This is very easy to, um, I don't want to say this. Don't, don't have your faith in people, all right? So this, so this could be considered idolatry. You could make this into idolatry, okay? Um, we can't love Christians more than we love God, and we can't, we can't have our faith in God, or not our faith in God. We should have our faith in God and not in Christians, all right? That's what I want to say. Um, Luke 14, 25 through 26 says, Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned to and said to them, this is Jesus talking, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. All right, so obviously that is hyperbole because we already talked about verses that command us to love other people, but if we, if our faith is in Christians and not in God, so if you, if all the Christians in your life were taken away, if your life was like Job and you just had nobody and nothing, would you still be a Christian? Alright? And if not, then your faith was in Christians and not in God. Okay? So I just wanted to get that out there real quick. Um, moving on here, 1 John 4, 7-11 through 11 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. All right, so this is, it's this idea that, that God loves you. If you were a Christian and you were saved, God loves you, and he loves this other Christian too, and he has forgiven them too. So if you hold a grudge, if you're holding a grudge against another Christian whom Christ has already forgiven, how can you say that you were saved? If you were hating somebody that God has forgiven, all right? Uh, 1 John 
4, 12 through 13 says, No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. Okay, so the Holy Spirit dwells inside of you. If you were a Christian, the Holy Spirit dwells inside of you. That, so, so the God of the universe is inside of you. And if somebody else is a Christian, it's the same thing. So it doesn't make sense for you to hate that person. Okay? It, it just, like, so this, so once again, this is not like a, you know, if you, if you were angry at another Christian once in your life, and you're like, well, I guess I'm not saved. All right? That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about is evidence, right? That would be a sure sign that you were not saved if you were, if you were holding a grudge and hating a fellow brother in Christ. All right? Make sense? I just, I just love that picture. I Googled, like, like uh, Holy Spirit like paintings, and like, dude, that's pretty cool, you know, I don't know who drew it or anything, but I didn't do it, um, 1 John 4, 14 through 16 says, and we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God, so we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. All right, so what's going on here? Love itself is a sign. All right, if you were this hateful, bitter, angry person, just all of the time, all right, like, like that is also evidence that you were not saved. All right? God is love. And, and it's not that, that um, everything that we think is loving is God. It's that whatever God does defines what love is, all right? So God is love and that everything he does, that's what defines, that's what shows us what love is, okay? So, but, so love itself is a sign. First um, John 4, 20 through 21 says, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For, who, for he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this is the commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. So, so if you're a Christian, you love God, right? But you've never seen him. You, you've experienced Christ in your life. You've been changed by him. But you've never physically seen him, all right? And if anybody tells you that they have, they're lying, all right? They just, they, no, we haven't seen God, all right? And if you can't love the person in front of you who, who, who is a Christian, like you know that this person is a Christian, and you can't love them, like, like come on now, all right? Um, and, and what commandment is he referring to here? Back to um, John 13, 34 through 35. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. All right, so that's the command he's talking about. So he's referencing back to the book of John and explaining it, all right? Um, Charles Spurgeon once said, I am told that Christians do not love each other. I am very sorry if that be true, but I rather doubt it. For I suspect that those who do not love each other are not Christians. It's a heavy statement, but it's true. All right, so... Now we know that we are supposed to love each other, all right? But how do we do that? All right, in, in church, a lot of times we, we tell people to do something, and then we don't explain how to do it. 
Right? If I say, you, you know, you have, to, you have to have faith and you have to have hope and you have to be sanctified. And I use all these, these words and I say, you got to do this and this and this. And you have, to, you have to let the Holy Spirit dwell in you and work in you. And it's like, if I don't tell you what that looks like, if I don't explain how to do that, I've just told you, hey, do this thing. And you're just like, what is that? I don't know what that means. I don't know how to do that. So it's not helpful. All right? So but we know that we have to love one another. But what does that look like? We're running to scripture. All right? Proverbs 27, 5 through 6 says, Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Very curious. John 3, 19 through 20 says, And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. Alright, so why don't I highlight those two verses? The word wounds means to convict. Alright? And it's the same word here in, in uh, John 3, 19 through 20. The word exposed there is the word is the Greek word alenchol. Alright, so I want everybody to say that with me, right? It's really fun. You, so so it, you have like a it's kind of like you're coughing up something real nasty. Um, but it's alenchol. Alright, that's that's the word. So everybody ready? Alenchol. Right, it's just, oh, it's such a fun word. It's a good time. Um, so no, so the word alenkhol means to, to convict, to expose, to bring to light. All right? Um, same idea. It means to rebuke. So it's the same idea in the, uh, of Proverbs 27. All right? To the wounds of a friend. To convict a friend is a good thing. And to expose. All right? But that doesn't sound... Good. That doesn't sound nice. That doesn't sound helpful to expose your friend. It just doesn't. To convict sounds sounds all right, but to rebuke and expose it just doesn't sound like a good thing to do. But that's what the Bible says. We are supposed to do that. Um, and and like a, a lot of people. Okay, so like um, the Holy Spirit. The way that the Holy, what the Holy Spirit does in our lives is convict, okay? Like, that's, that's what the Holy Spirit does. Uh, John 16, 7 through 9 says, uh, this is Jesus speaking, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is, your, is to, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you, the Holy Spirit. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment concerning sin. Because they do not believe in me. Alright? Like, that's what, that's what the Holy Spirit does. Like, that's the point. That's, that's, that's like... That's, I mean, that's, that's what the Holy Spirit does, right? And the Holy Spirit, if, if, if you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit is dwelling inside of you. And so, so we'll say that, oh, you know, well, you know, the Holy Spirit is supposed to convict. We don't really have to, to do that. That's the Holy Spirit's job. No, not necessarily, because the Holy Spirit is dwelling inside of you. And God uses us to accomplish his works. So we are supposed to do those things because that's how the Holy Spirit accomplishes his work, is through us. That's how God has chosen to do that. So in and through us, we convict one another. The wounds of a friend are faithful, are the, are the wounds of a friend, all right? Okay, so it's kind of like um, okay, so think of, think of the word alenkhol again, all right? To expose, to convict, whatever. 
Um, so think, think, of, think of this dude, like, walking towards a cliff, right? And it's foggy, and you can't really see where he's going, right? And just, like, a few more steps, and, you know, whoosh, I mean, he's dead, all right? So he's, he's heading towards this cliff, but he doesn't really know it, because, you know, he can't really see clearly, all right? So until a lane hole comes in and, and blows that fog away and exposes what's really going on. All right, so then that person can see clearly, and, and a link hole doesn't sh just show people what's wrong, it shows us what's right as well. All right, and Chandler's smiling because he knows what's coming. Um, but no, so, so that's what a link hole is, that's what it does, it, it, it lets us see clearly. All right, ignorance is not bliss. Members ever told you that ignorance is not bliss, it is a blindfold. Okay, and once you take it off and you, and you turn around and you see all the damage that you've done, you realize, hey, like that's not blissful, and that's not a blissful experience, all right? Because then you see all the stupid things that you did when you weren't like seeing clearly, all right? So ignorance is not bliss. It might be fun for a little while until you realize what you just did, all right? So, so, so this is a good thing, all right? And, uh, and Chandler, I, I was just gonna repeat everything you said, but. Uh, I figured he could say it better and faster than I did. So we're going to listen to um, Eric Ludy um, for, like, for like three minutes. Yeah. So remember our word, elenco? So I'm going to make that a little easier, and we're going to call her elenho. Uh, now, there's a, there's a work in Christianity, it's a very unhealthy one, which tries to say that the Holy Spirit is female. And last time I checked in the Bible, the pronoun used for the Holy Spirit was he capital H. And so I'm not trying to say that the Holy Spirit is a she. It just sort of happens to fit that the word Elaine is a girl's name. So it'd be awkward, extra awkward for all of us in here if I tried to say that Elaine was a boy's name. So we're going to just say Miss Elaine Hull. Okay, I'm not necessarily just talking about the work of the Holy Spirit. It's the work of conviction. Okay, this is how conviction works. She shares because she cares. So we have, I think I even have, yes, I have her... Uh, she has uh, a whole business that she started, Elaine Ho, Life Consulting International. She goes all over the world and does this stuff. But she works with businesses. She works with church leaders. She works with individuals. She works with parents. You have need, Elaine Ho is ready to help, okay? And she's just one of these very interesting ladies. She loves you to death, but the way she loves you, she loves you with straightforward talking. She'll just tell you the way it is. And it's so uncomfortable because Elaine Ho just comes into your house and she just opens up your cupboards and says, what's this? What's going on here? That's not the way you know to keep your house. You thought that I was just going to look at the exterior, but I'm going to look in the cupboards. I'm going to open this drawer. What? Elaine, what are you doing? You see, Elaine goes right to that spot in our life that we don't want her to see. And she walks right in our house and seems to have, have a sniffer for it. And goes right back into that closet where you stuffed everything. Remember when your guests were coming over? And you're like, oh, we'll stick it in here. And then Elaine walks into the house. You're like, where, where are you going, Elaine? Where, where are you going, Elaine? And she walks right there. You see, she just knows her stuff. She knows how we think, how we function, how we hide things and justify things. Elaine Ho means business. Elaine Ho Life Consulting International. Speaking it straight to get out the kinks. You see, you have kinks in your life, little twists and knots, and Elaine Ho will speak straight. You know, there's one thing that is off limits, and we're going to call it politically correct. I'm sorry, politically incorrect today, 
and that is the work of Elaine Hall. You see, as a pastor, I am not to do this sort of work. I am supposed to make you feel good when you arrive here today. I'm supposed to just pat you on the back and say, look, I, I just want you to have a high self-esteem. I want you to never feel a farthing of pain and conviction inside of your life. I would never do that to you. And so as a result, I could never speak to you the way you need to be spoken to. And as a result, your life would never change. You see, most of us don't want hard truth. We want something that will tickle our ears and tell us what we want to hear. And as a result, we die in our sin. But Elaine Ho doesn't function that way. She goes straight in and says exactly what needs to be said because she cares. Elaine Ho, all right? So this is a good thing. To convict one another, to rebuke one another, this is a good thing. And is it uncomfortable? Is it an enjoyable experience? Maybe not, but it is a good thing. And it is helpful and it is necessary for us to do as Christians. All right? Um, so, but what about you're not supposed to judge each other? Right? I mean, Matthew 7, 1, judge not lest you be judged, right? So, you know, I've, I've probably told maybe all of you this before in a what video, but... The rest of the, the context of that is judge each other without being a hypocrite, all right? So take the log out of your own eye so you can see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. We're supposed to judge each other in order to help one another, all right? And I got a ton of verses, ton of verses here. First uh, Corinthians eleven thirty one. but if we judge ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. All right? Judgment and, and conviction from God in our life is necessary. Uh, John 7, 24, do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. All right? Going along with Matthew 7 there. Uh, Proverbs 31, 9, open your mouth, judge righteously. It doesn't get more straightforward than that. Open your mouth and judge righteously. All right? Uh, Matthew 18, 15, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. It's pretty straightforward, all right? Uh, 1 Corinthians 5, 12 through 13, for what have I to do with judging outsiders? And we'll talk more about that next week. Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside, all right? Now, also, we're not supposed to be jerks about this, all right? So 2 Timothy 2, 24 through 25 says, The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. All right? So you can't be like, like this guy here. You go to the next slide here, kid. Can't be like this guy here, you know? Like... It's not, it's not about pointing fingers and, and uh, you, don't, you don't judge each other. You know, as a Christian, you don't judge another Christian in a spirit of condemnation, all right? And it, but you do it in a spirit of correction and discipline and in a spirit of love because you're trying to help them, all right? Make sense? Um, and I, I have lost friends over that idea, all right? Of just this, that, that I could not understand how if I could say truth to somebody, that they wouldn't just be like, oh, well, well, yeah, that makes sense. I'll just change. 
right? Because if, if somebody did that to me, like, like I'll have like Facebook arguments with people I don't even know and they'll say something about me and I'll be like, you know, I should probably check into that and make sure that that's not true. Like they could be the biggest jerk on the planet. And, but for me personally, I just, I just don't care if they say it in a mean way. If it's truth, it's truth, all right? But, but people, we don't work like that. And um, like you have to, that's why the Bible commands us to do it, to speak with gentleness and out of love, all right? So the wounds of a friend are painful and they hurt, but we do it out of love, okay? In a spirit of gentleness, not to be quarrelsome, not to argue, all right? Um, a few years ago, I had a really interesting experience with my lungs. Uh, it, was, it was called uh, spontaneous pneumothorax. All right, I may have missed a word there. I'm not entirely sure if that's what they told me or not. Uh, spontaneous pneumothorax, right? So, so I had a leak in my lung, and it was leaking out of my lung into the tissue underneath my skin. So it was really painful. And it was leaking all the way up into my throat. And so one night, it was, it was New Year's Eve, like four years ago, and, and I was just like in tons of pain, and it, it, was, it was like something was stuck in my throat. And so... Um, I was like, all right, well, I don't want to go like, to the emergency room because there's something stuck in my throat. That sounds pathetic. Like, I'll just swallow it, and it'll be fine. And so I waited like two hours. It was like midnight before I was like, like Dad, I'm like dying here. I can't sleep. We need to go to the emergency room. So, so we go in, and, and I, I ended up going to like four different doctor's appointments because they couldn't figure out what the crap was wrong with me. They took x-rays, and, the, and the, the doctor kept asking me, like, what did you eat tonight? And I was like, dude, I literally ate oatmeal. Like, there's no way that there's oatmeal stuck in my throat, all right? It's like the softest, like, like dude, all right? And so we, 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 I went to a, a heart doctor and got um, a, a cardiogram, echocardiogram, to, figure, to try to figure out if I had Marfan's disease and it was a heart problem. Like, we, we went through all of this stuff. I, I had two echocardiograms, actually, because we, the, the, after the first one, they didn't, they didn't see the record that I had already had the first one, so I came in again and they gave me a second one, and then afterwards they're like, oh, sorry, we forgot you already had that. Like, it was, it was a ridiculous experience, right? And I didn't want to go through it again. And then, like, like one or two years later, and then, like, that kept happening every once in a while, I would, like, just leak air into my tissue and die for a little while, and then I'd be fine. Um, but, but then, so then I had something called hair folliculitis, like, a year or two later. And it's like, like, you've never you even heard of that. Like, 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 what the heck is that? It's, it's mold underneath your skin, and it's in the, the, the uh, follicles of your hair. And it's really painful, all right? It wasn't a pleasant experience. And so I kept having all these really strange diseases, and I was like, you know what would help? An anatomy class, all right? And so, so that's literally the reason I wanted to take an anatomy class, is I was like, trying to figure out what the crap was wrong with my body, all right? Because these weird things kept happening to me, right? So what, what was the point of that? Hilarious, painful story. Knowledge is helpful, all right? Knowledge is not evil. Knowledge is helpful. The only reason I wanted to learn anything about my body was because I wanted it to stop hurting, all right? Because bad things were happening to me. But, but so, so knowledge is not evil. Um, 1 Corinthians 8.1 says, Now concerning things offered to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. And I've had that verse thrown to me quite a few times to say, stop worrying about the, the details of Scripture. Just worry about loving people. But how do we know what we're doing is loving? All right, let's say, Chandler, let's say I, I gave you a pie. 
All right, but you hate pie. Like, like that wasn't, like, I meant it, I meant, like, there was good intentions behind what I did, and I was trying to love you, but if I didn't know that you hated pie, you know where that pie is going? In the garbage or somebody else's mouth. Like, it's not, it's not helpful if I don't have knowledge, okay? Like, it just, it doesn't work. It's not loving because I didn't take the time to try to figure out what was going on first, all right? I didn't, I didn't go to scripture, all right? So it's not loving. And, okay, so this is, this is the best analogy I could come up with. All right, so knowledge puffs up, all right? So if I, if I breathe in, right, my, my chest is going to expand. And hopefully I don't pop another hole in my lung. But, you know, if I breathe in, my chest is expanding. I'm puffing myself up. I'm breathing in. I'm, I'm gaining knowledge, all right? But if I just stay like this, it's not only not helpful to me, and it's going to hurt, and I might pass out, but I'm not helping anybody else, all right? So, so knowledge puffs up, but knowledge is not a bad thing because love what? It edifies. What does the word edify mean? It means to teach about righteous things. It literally means to, to teach or to, um, like to, to explain spiritual things, to, to, to talk about Scripture in a, in a way that, that um, builds up. Literally, what the word here means build up. Like the Greek word there literally means to build up. All right? So to edify is to teach about Scripture. All right? So knowledge is not a bad thing. And when I, if I could breathe in all I want, but it's not going to do anything unless I breathe out and edify the people around me. All right? One of the most, like, encouraging things for me is when somebody is like, hey, there's this really cool thing I learned about God last week, and I want to share it with you. Like, like that is so encouraging to me, and it's, it's just so, it's, it's just so helpful. And, and that's what we're supposed to do as Christians. We're supposed to edify each other. All right? If the Holy Spirit is truly dwelling in you and the Holy Spirit is working on you, God is sanctifying you and he's teaching you things. And he has you with the people around you, the other Christians around you, because you're supposed to live and grow together. But if I'm just learning all of this knowledge and keeping it to myself, all I'm doing is making myself look better. I'm, I'm, that's, that's the only goal there. All right? If I'm not edifying the people around me and sharing what I have learned, then all, the only person I'm thinking about is myself. All right? Make sense? Uh, Jeremiah 29 says, If I say I will not mention him or speak any more in his name, there is in my heart as it were a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I am weary with holding it in, and I cannot. All right? That is what the word of God should do to us. All right? We should want to proclaim it. All right? Um, but once again, you know, we had this idea that, you know, but, but, like, knowledge is not going to be here forever. Love is the greatest, and, and love is never going to pass away, right? Uh, 1 Corinthians 13, 13 says, So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love, right? Don't worry about the theological implications of whatever. Just love people, all right? But you know what else will not pass away? The word of God, Matthew 24, 35. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away, all right? The word of God is never going to pass away. And how do we know how to love? Through scripture. All right? Proverbs 27, 17 says, As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. All right? And I have no idea why I like this picture so much, but I just, it's really cool. I don't know why I like it a lot. Um, no, so as iron sharpens iron, once again, that doesn't sound like a good experience, right? Grinding up against whatever. 
That doesn't sound fun, but it's helpful, and it's needed, it's necessary, all right? And that's the whole point of you being around other Christians, is to sharpen one another, all right? That's the whole point of this. That's the reason God has placed you where you are with the people that you were with, all right? So you can sharpen one another, to build one another up, to edify. Um... Uh, the next verse is, uh, this is Colossians 1. And the context to Colossians 1 is Paul is writing a letter to a bunch of Christians he's literally never met before. All right? And, but he knows that they're Christians. All right? And so he's writing a letter to them and saying that he's praying for them. And these are the words that he uses to pray for them. This is what he tells them he's praying for them about. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. All right? What, what he doesn't say is, I hope that your love abounds. In other places, he does say that. All right? But more specifically, how does he want their love to abound? In the knowledge of spiritual wisdom of God. All right? Make sense? Um, going on here at Colossians 1, 11 through 12, it says, Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. And the next two verses, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Okay, so what is he doing there? He's reminding them of the gospel. All right. For the longest time, I could not stand praying out loud with other people. I just couldn't. I, like, my, my prayer life was so few words, and it just didn't make any sense to anybody but myself, that I just couldn't understand how people were praying and, or even wanted to pray out loud. And then I thought about it. And I, like talking about these verses, we pray out loud in order to edify one another, all right? to encourage one another. If I pray out loud with the person next to me, you know what they hear? Not only they know that I am praying for them, they hear me praying for them, but I can edify them. I can even, like, I can, I can point them in the right direction even with the words that I use. I can say, you know, hey, I pray that this person will do this. I pray that this person will get better at this. I pray that, you know, whatever. So that, and, and you don't, you know, you know, you don't make it pointed and like, I pray that this guy's just being a jerk. No, that's stupid. All right, that would be that would that would be quarrelsome, not with a gentle and kind spirit. All right, but we should edify one another. That's helpful for me to pray for Ben and be like, hey, you know, God, I pray that that Ben will help get help with this thing, or that that he would be comforted with this thing. All right, we're edifying one another. We're encouraging one another. All right. Um. Philippians 1, 3 through 6. So I'm going to go through three different points here, right? In Philippians 1, 3 through 6, it says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion of the day of Jesus Christ. All right, so I'm going to go through these verses. Three points I want you to get out of this of how we love one another, all right, as Christians. Point number one from those verses there is trust and faith, all right? What does the word trust mean? Firm belief in the reliability, truth, 
ability or strength of someone or something. All right? Now, we could think that to mean, well, you know, I'm, we're not supposed to judge each other now. We're supposed to, you know, trust each other. Hey, Chandler, I pulled out the end of that cliff. <laughs> I, uh, I trust that you're going to do the right thing. Hopefully he does it really soon. In the meantime, he dies. Like, that's, that's a naive trust. All right? We don't want to have that. Um, but what we do want to have is, okay, so, so, like, it's this idea that if I don't trust you, like, I can't say that I love you, all right? Like, like if, I, if, I, if I trust you, but I don't, I'm, if I love you, but I'm like, oh, I'm not really sure if I'm going to, you know, trust you to do that, though. You know, like, like it, doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't really sound genuine. Like, Alexis, oh, you're great. Uh, I don't trust you to hold that, that thing. You should give it to me. I, it's a bad situation. You know, like, like it just, it's not... This doesn't sound very loving. It really doesn't. So, so we should trust one another because we love one another, right? But it's not that we have this naive trust. But we do trust one another. Why? Not because, not because I trust you to do the right thing in every circumstance. All right? We still should be on the lookout for each other. Right? But I have trust in God. All right? Philippians 1.6 and we know, and if he who has begun a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Jesus Christ, all right? If I believe that, and I believe that he has saved you, and I, that means that I know that God is going to bring a complete work to your life. He's not going to, to leave you. He's not going to take away your salvation. He knows, I, I know that, that he is going to bring you to the finish line. He's going to complete his work in you, all right? So if I believe that, that means that I can trust and have faith in God. He's going to carry you to the end. All right? So that's what that's talking about. Uh, moving on to Philippians. Philippians 1, 7 through 8. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. All right? So I want you to get out of those verses like right away is that these things are true. Right? He's not lying to them. He, he's, he's talking about um, like he, he loves them and wants to be around them. All right? And earlier he was talking about um, his, their work in the gospel. All right? his, their work with him in the gospel of Jesus Christ to bring people to saving faith. All right? um, so point number two there is encouragement. Um, encouragement means to give support confidence or hope to someone, all right? So we're supposed to encourage one another. How? All right? So, but, like, like if, I, if I say, you know, hey, you have, you look great today, and, you know, really, I think you look terrible. You know what that is? That's a lie, and that's not helpful, and it's not encouraging, all right? Because, because if I am like, you know, hey, there is not a cliff there. <laughs> you know, that, like, that's not helpful, all right? And it's not truth. So it's not actually loving. It's not actually encouraging. It's giving false hope. All right? So we um, encourage one another, but not with lies. Okay? We encourage one another with the truth. And so, so what that means is we look for the good in one another. All right? We, we look for those things that we can encourage others with. All right? That we're not always just looking for how we can correct each other, but we're looking for ways 
And, and, and we're looking for things that Christ is working in and through our lives. Like, and, and we see where Christ is working in each other. And we're like, hey, I've noticed that you have changed in this area. That's great. And, and when I say we're looking for the good in one another, I'm not saying that, that we ourselves are good and that's coming from us. But it's coming from Christ. That if they are truly saved, they're being sanctified. Becoming more into the image of Christ, right? So we're looking for those ways that we can encourage one another and say, hey, I see that, that God is doing this in your life and that's great. All right? That's how we encourage one another. All right? Philippians 1, 9 through 11. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. So once again, knowledge and all discernment. This is how he's praying for them. That your love may abound more and more. How? With knowledge and all discernment. Okay? So that you may approve what is excellent. Not what is okay, not what is good, what is excellent. So that, um, and, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Right? To the glory and praise of God. So point number three here is exhortation. Alright? What does exhortation mean? An address or communication empathetically and urging someone to do something. All right? So once again, this is not a spirit of condemnation, but a spirit of encouragement and of love. All right? An address or communication empathetically urging someone to do something. All right? So we encourage one another, but we also point out where we can do better. We build one another up in the knowledge of Christ. All right? So exhortation, that's not a bad thing. That's something we are called to do. And we can do it in a way that he did there where he's saying, hey, like, this is how I want you to live your life according to scripture and, and, and to glorify Christ. That's how I want you to live your life. And I'm praying for you about that. It's probably the, the best way that you could say that. All right? Um, so recap here real quick. So point number one, trust and faith. All right, so not... Not trust that we, that we have this naive trust and, you know, that everybody's going to, you know, do everything right. We still look out for one another. But we have trust and faith that God will bring that work to completion. Okay? Point number two, encouragement. All right? So we don't encourage with lies. We encourage with the truth. All right? Exhortation. All right? We challenge one another to the glory and praise of God. All right? 1 John 3, 16 through 18 says, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. All right, so meditate on, on those verses and the next verses. If, if you're sitting here and you're just like, like, and this, like, this is weighing in your heart, and you're like, like, you're feeling the alenco, all right? And you're just like, like, man, I just, I, I don't, I don't look like I should, all right? I'm not doing what I, what I know that I should be doing in regards to other Christians, all right? So don't, don't, like, like, freak out, all right? Don't, don't, like, have this big, like, you know, whatever, all right? If, if you're, if you're like, oh, my goodness, like, what's going on here? Examine yourself. Test your faith, okay? Meditate on these verses and think, am I truly saved? All right? And then if you, if you, if you see that you're, that you're not matching up to where Scripture says 
that you should do, then just make a change. All right? So moving on here in 1 John 3, 19-22 says, By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. What a beautiful thing. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. All right, verse 23, and this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he has commanded us. All right? So, Hebrews 10, 24 through 25, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Alright, so what's going on here? This is literally a verse that commands us to go to church. Think about it. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Alright? Why does it say as you see the day drawing near? Because if Jesus comes back, and you're not regularly meeting with a fellowship of other Christians and trying to build one another up in Christ, you're wasting your time. And that's what he's saying is, all the more as you see the day drawing near, don't let Christ come back. We don't know the day or the hour, right? With all the, the end time stuff, of the world was supposed to end three days ago, all right? Like, the Bible says that only God knows the day or the hour, all right? And so because we don't know when Christ is coming back, be on guard. Don't neglect to meet with one another. And what, what is church? What do, we, what do we do? What do we accomplish when we get there? Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. That's the point of church. Okay? Church is not about going and listening to your favorite preacher and worship leader and then leaving. Alright? What we're doing right now is a necessary part of a Christian life. To, to have, to have a, a pastor or teacher teach and to, to bring the, the truth of the word of God, that's a good thing. And that's something that we should do. But that's not church. All right? Church is not listening to a sermon online. Church is stirring up one another to love and good works. And you can't do that if you're not face-to-face. -face. You can't do that if you're not meeting together in a church with other believers. And what does it say about somebody who doesn't want to meet in a church with other believers? They're thinking selfishly. They think they don't need other Christians. And they don't think that they can, that, and they don't realize that they're supposed to benefit other Christians. You don't just come to church to get something. You go to church to give something. So it's not about you. All right? Make sense? Proverbs 18.1 says, A man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. He rages against all wise judgment. All right? No man is an island. Remember we heard that song, 10th Avenue North? I would listen to that song, and I was like, no man is an island. What are they talking about? I can live a Christian life on my own. I can, you know, like, I don't need other Christians. Are we supposed to be with other Christians? Yeah, but I don't need other Christians. You know what I was doing? I was isolating myself, seeking my own desire, and raging against all wise judgment. All right? I didn't, I didn't want other people to... Tell me what to do, all right? I wanted to live my Christian life alone so that it was just me and God, and it wasn't uncomfortable, all right? 
He rages against all wise judgment. You know what you get at church? Wise judgment. That's helpful. Alright? So a dude on an island, alright, you know, you know what he thinks about? Himself. Why? Because the only thing he can think about is himself. Because he's the only dude there. Alright? It's pretty simple. You isolate yourself, the only thing you're going to think about is you. Make sense? And that's not the way that Christ has called us to live. To be in a church with other believers is to humble yourself. And that's a good thing. But it's to, it's to live as Christ lived, with other Christians. Alright? That's the example that Jesus set for us. Make sense? So Romans 12, 4 through 5 says, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Alright? Can I have a volunteer real quick? I don't know. It's going to be fun. Alright. So stand over here. I want you to walk over to that table and walk back. Like a funny manner and it's just heavy. There you go. Alright, wonderful. See how easy that was? It's pretty, pretty easy. Alright, now come back. Now, just with your leg, pull your leg back. And that was it. Well, I can't walk, I can help. Yeah, you can. Go ahead. Alright, so. Like more awkward. <laughs> Funnier for all of us. Alright, so now, now I'll go back to, to this one again. Alright, do this. The other leg. No, 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 just same, same leg, right? Okay, but now, while you're holding that one, do the other leg, too. All right, so, so do both. <laughs> no, go ahead. <laughs> okay, all right, all right. Thank you. Um, so, <laughs> that was a stupid illustration. All right, but, so what happened there? I took away one member of her body, and not only was it really funny, and not only was it, like, slower, it, it was, not only was it harder, but it was also slower, right? Couldn't do that walking as efficiently. And that was just one member of the body. You take away two and it's, it's impossible. You can't do it. Alright? That's, that, that's why that's the analogy. That's why that's the analogy. We are the body of Christ. And each member is important. You, like, like, there are very few parts of your body that you're like, yeah, I can get rid of that. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you could live without that. But you don't want that to go away. Alright? So that's the point. That's the analogy is that if we're the body of Christ, every member of the body is important. Now, before, before I continue, we are all supposed to preach the gospel, right? We are all supposed to witness to unbelievers. That is a job that all Christians have. But each of us are made differently. And we serve different functions in what? In church, in the body of Christ, all right? So... We, we have different abilities and talents, and not everybody is called to be missionary. Not everybody is supposed to be a pastor. Not everybody is, is, can, can, can work the tech booth, all right? Not, like, like, trust me, not everybody, you think it's simple. Not everybody can do it. It's really funny, all right? Not everybody can work with children, all right? I, I knew a couple of guys where it was like, hey, why don't we bring them to kids' camp? No. <laughs> like, this, you just can't. They're just not going to be good at that. Does that mean that they're not a Christian? No. It means is that they just, they, they, they serve a different function. They're still just as important. 
All right, every member of the body of Christ is just as important as everybody else. The pastor, Pastor Jeff, is not more important than you guys if you were saved to the body of Christ. Is he a necessary part of the body of Christ? Yes. But he is not the only part. All right, everybody serves a function. And when we say that, you know, well, we don't really need to go to church, we don't really need to live a life with each other, we're not only starving ourselves of what Christ has made us to be a part of, to be a part of that community, but we're also starving the other people of the gifts and abilities and talents that we have that we can give to them. All right, make sense? Uh, this, is, this is from my history book. Um, reading this the other day, this is, this is fantastic. Fantastic little snippet here. This is during World War II. Just as American code experts worked, worked to break Japan's codes, the Japanese tried to break U.S. military codes, and Americans tried to prevent it. Philip Johnson, the son of a missionary to the Navajo Indians in the American Southwest, suggested a method by which the American code was never broken, using Navajos speaking their own language. Navajo has no alphabet or symbols, so it is not written. It is also very complicated, and few people knew it. In early tests of the method, Navajos could decode a three-line message in only 20 seconds, whereas a decoding machine required 30 minutes to decode the same message. The U.S. Marine Corps recruited and trained more than 375 Navajos as code talkers, and they served in every major engagement in the Pacific. For example, during the first two days of the Battle for Iwo Jima, six code talkers worked around the clock sending and decoding more than 800 messages without making any mistakes. The Navajo code talkers were critical to the Allied victory over Japan. For years, few people knew about their invaluable contribution because the program was so secret. They were finally honored for their service in 1992. All right? So why don't I, I just tell you that story? Did they fight in the war with a gun? No. But did they fight in the war? Absolutely. They were an essential part to the war. And, and as I was reading that in, in my history book, there were all these different things where I was talking about all these different people in America were fighting the war. Right, if you've ever seen like the Ken Burns like documentary in World War II, it goes through all these different things that Americas, uh, Americas, Americans were doing during World War II that were vital to the reason we won the war. Because it wasn't just the soldiers that were fighting, they were all fighting. All right? And once again, we are all called to preach the gospel. We are all called to witness to unbelievers. All right? To be a light to the darkness. But... We all have different functions, and not everybody has to be a missionary, all right? We are all called to fight a war. Think about that seriously, all right? A lot of times when we, when we witness to people, we say, well, you know, you just got to surrender, all right? And that, and that bothered me for the longest time until I thought about it. It's not just about surrendering to God, all right? So you're, so you're fighting against God. The Bible says that everybody who's not a Christian hates God, and they're fighting against him, and then God saves them and they surrender, and then they get on the other side and start fighting again, all right? You don't just surrender and just sit there and stand there and don't do anything anymore, all right? So when, when, you, when we say you need to surrender to Christ, don't, don't stop there. Say when you surrender to Christ, you pick up your weapon again and start, you pick up a different weapon and start fighting against the other side, all right? Makes sense. You start fighting on, on God's side, all right? So... So think about it seriously, though. Think about your life as a Christian as a battlefield. Think about it as a war 
that you're fighting because we don't get a second chance here. And this is serious stuff. And, and think and, and take seriously your time with other Christians. Take seriously your time that you can give to the church. All right? Uh, we're going to watch a video um, by Paul Washer to kind of close this up. Down in a place in Alabama a few weeks ago to a group of people in Tharp Town, Alabama. And I just love these people. They're just wonderful. And uh, I was preaching... And uh, it was going a little bit long. I know you can't believe that, but it was going a little bit long. And I said, now stop that. And they all kind of looked up. I said, I know what you're thinking. You're all thinking about leaving here and going to El Rancho. El Rancho is the favorite, most favorite Mexican restaurant there near the church. Uh, matter of fact, it's the only restaurant in the whole entire town. So um, and I said, I know what you're doing. You're not thinking about church anymore. You think about going to El Rancho. And they were like, you know, they're all feeling guilty. But I said that because I wanted to teach them something. I said, now stop. Ask yourself right now. Are you doing church? Or whatever you call Are you doing church? No. I said, I want you to look at something a little bit different. Right now you're sitting under the preaching of the word of God. We have worshipped collectively and we have prayed collectively. Now, you think you've done something spiritual and then you're going to leave and you're going to go to El Rancho and, and do something not so spiritual. I said, actually, the way you need to look at it is you're leaving here to go to church. I'm like, well, what do you mean? I said, now, if you go there and talk about your favorite football team or something, not necessarily. I said, but do you realize you're not talking to each other right now? You're not ministering to one another? You're listening to a sermon, which is necessary. You've worshipped collectively and prayed collectively, which is all necessary and good. and It's part of church. But what do you say now that as soon as I dismiss this, we all go over to El Rancho and have church? We go over there, sit down at a table, with a fellow believer, talk to them, get to know them, find out what's going on in their life, eat some chips, God's good, and just get to know one another, to love one another, to bless one another. You see, their whole idea of church revolved around coming into that place, worshiping collectively, listening to a Bible study, and then leaving. That's not church. That's a very essential part of church. See, there you go again, just identifying it with a service, a meeting, a meeting place. It is you collectively caring for one another. I hope that that makes you think differently just about experiences with other Christians, all right? To not just... Not just to think about it as something you go to to have entertainment, to have fun. Right? That doesn't mean that you can't have fun with your Christian friends. Right? You can go to El Rancho, eat chips, God is good, right? But don't waste your time. Build one another up. We don't get a second chance this life. We don't get extra time. You could die tomorrow. All right? Don't waste the time that you have with Christians. Because that's the most important part of our life is, is, is loving God and then loving one another.
to build each other up, to help each other in this fight, to help each other witness, to help by praying, to encourage one another, all right? To exhort one another, to keep an eye out for one another when we sin, when we stumble, when we fall, all right? We keep each other in Christ. The Holy Spirit uses us to keep us saved, all right? If that makes any sense. That's, that's the goal here, all right? So a, a long time ago, um, for student leaders, when I was in student leaders, um, we, we had this code word, um, ghostbusters, all right? Whenever a new kid would come in and nobody would talk to them. So if there was, if there was a new kid or somebody that, you know, we didn't really know too well and we were all kind of talking with each other, you know, somebody would say, hey, ghostbusters. And then we'd all be like, all right, Who's the new kid, you know? Because, because we wouldn't be like, hey, hey, there's a new kid over there. Somebody should talk to. You know, it's just not as, it's just, it's not as subtle. So, we, we, you know, we used the code word. Code word Ghostbusters, right? It was really cool. Um, but so, so if, this, if this helps at all, if, if, if this is beneficial to you to use code word El Rancho, all right? To, 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 to bring you and other Christians that you're with to focus on Christ, and to not, to not waste our time, all right? You can, you can go do fun things with the Christians, all right? And, and it's not, you're not sinning, all right? You can, you can go bowling, and, and you know, it, it, it's fun, and you're, you're, you know, you're enjoying one another's company. But if we just do that, and that's it, if that's your friendship, then it's, it's not beneficial, Right? It's not helpful. That's not love. You're not loving one another. You're just getting from one another. All right? Make sense? So, oh, Alexis, you said yes. Oh. Somebody said yes. That makes sense. No. I'm kidding. All right, no, so, so here's the point, though. All right? As Christians, we are supposed to sharpen one another. Right? As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Right? That's the point. We're supposed to help each other. But are we taking it seriously? Are you fighting a war? All right? And are you using the people uh, uh, around you to glorify God? The First Corinthians 10.31 says, Therefore, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. It's this, it's this, this, this pie chart, right? And it's not just we, we give this one slice to God, but he affects all parts of our life. And we do everything to the glory of God. And that includes how we spend our time with our friends. Is it just something we do to have fun? Or is it something that we are seeking to glorify God with? Alright? So I'll pray real quick. And then we'll be done. God, thank you just, again, just for everybody here, Lord, and just, um, just for the opportunity to, to speak your word. Um, and just to the opportunity that we get to come together and to love one another and to edify one another and to encourage one another. And Lord, I just pray that we take this seriously and that we, if, if this, is, this is something that we don't do and if it's something that is convicting us, Lord, that we will change. We will make that change and glorify you in everything. There we go. That is the second part of Connor's First John series. I'm sure we'll play the third one soon. But for now, that is all from us here at The Christian Artist. Thank you for listening. You can find us in all the usual places. Have a great week.